on a thousand planets and spreading out. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. To the bat poles. May the force be with you. Who is that mask man? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. Before today's discussion, here's some genre-related news. Star Trek Prodigy has announced that Ella Purnell, Brett Gray, Riley Alazraki, D. Baker Bradley, Angus Emery, and Jason Mansukas will make up the main voice cast. They'll join Kate Mulgrew, who reprises her role as Catherine Janeway. In a first for a Trek series, the main cast is made up entirely of alien species. Prodigy is also the first Star Trek series aimed at children. The premise of the show is six young characters end up commandeering an abandoned Starfleet vessel and must learn how to operate it in order to survive. The ship's emergency training hologram of Captain Janeway acts as their guide. Several anniversaries this week as June 12th was 40 years since the theatrical debut of Raiders of the Lost Ark and June 14th marked 60 years since the Silver Age Flash discovered the DC Comics multiverse in Flash number 123. New trailers dropped this week for season two of Stargirl on the CW and season two of Star Trek Picard on Paramount Plus. You can view the trailers on one of the Fantastic Forum social media platforms. And while you're there, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter and Instagram and like us on Facebook. We like to be followed and we love to be liked. Stargirl premieres on August 10th, 2021, while Star Trek Picard returns in 2022. And some sad news this week as American actor Ned Beatty passed away on June 13th. He was best known to genre audiences for his work in Superman the Movie, Exorcist II The Heretic, the 1990 Captain America, The Incredible Shrinking Woman, and Toy Story 3. Beatty was 83. Today, we're talking about some of the genre-related happenings since our last news show several weeks ago. Joining me are Roberto Ortiz, Drew Bittner, and Julian Lytle. Thanks so much for being with us, fellas. Thanks for having me here. Okay, so it's been a few weeks since our last new program. All sorts of things have happened in the intervening weeks. Did you all see that uh, Eternals? trailer yes from a couple of weeks ago yeah. yes you guys see it mm-hmm. what would what would you think yes yeah, I like it I mean because you know I mean they got the celestials out I, I gotta tell you I was really impressed with the celestials and there was a still that they had where um, uh, there were like four of the celestials that are standing and uh, they are so far above the clouds the clouds are basically around their ankles and I'm like, ooh, ooh, <laughs> those are the Celestials. I mean, you could probably easily see them standing on Earth from outer space, as tall as they were, as big as they were. I, so, I, just, 
blown away on how brilliant Jack Kirby was that he could create something similar for the new of the new gods for Marvel and still be distinct from the new gods. I was actually very concerned that after before seeing the trailer, ah, DC will not be able to do the new god, blah 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 blah. And then I saw it and I realized, yeah, this is different enough that DC could still do new gods and have no problem. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it, they're pretty different. It me, really, that's it made me appreciate. It made it reminded me Jack Kerry was a freaking genius. He was that, real good at making comic books, just not as good at getting paid for doing it. I know, but he was brilliant specifically in terms of the big ideas. It's like this is a fantastic the new gods, the the whole concept of uh, the the new Genesis apocalypse and all that. That's brilliant. The every single creation he did was well thought out and brilliant. It's like incredibly out there. And when I see this trailer, I was before I saw it, I was like, oh my god, they're just gonna rip off the new gods. And it's like, no, it's not. Wow. I was not that familiar with this property, but this is cool. I, oh, I see, that's good. So you didn't, you never read the Eternals. Okay, so you're not coming oh. in with no baggage. That's oh, good for you. No. Going blind, keep that. Keep yeah, that I, energy. Yeah, I read. You do, <laughs> you're gonna be like, I don't know about this. <laughs> yeah, I hear what you're saying because I read the comic book back in the day, and uh, you know, I, I mean, yeah, the names of these people are the same. But it's not, I mean, I wasn't getting that feel off of it, like, you know, from the comic. I mean, although there's so many of these properties now. And and Marvel, uh, Marvel basically gets a pass anything they want to do. I mean, I didn't like that the Eternals mentioned the Avengers in the trailer. You know, it was like, oh, oh, that's what we're doing. Okay, all right. But, uh, hey, but it's got Angelina Jolie, so you can't go wrong. I think I think you'll see that they're going to be struggling to find ways to tie it to the larger MCU because this is kind of it's not only a niche property, but it's also a niche story in a lot of ways. I mean, it's very very big. It's very star spanning and and history spanning and everything else. But it's it's been so behind the scenes in terms of where the MCU has been so far that that I think they really are going to be looking for ways to connect and and name. Dropping the Avengers is just going to be one way they try and do that. So, mm-hmm. it's, yep. it's, it's interesting that the biggest meme about the trailer afterwards was people like, "So where was y'all at?" Yeah, <laughs> yep, <laughs> I agree. Which is, I think, is an interesting thing that they might have to explain because the way the way press works now. It's before it would be like one of us is sitting with people who don't know any of this stuff. And then they would ask them some questions before the movie and then after the movie to explain where these characters fit in, right? Mm-hmm. Now the press sites have people like that that's going to basically say, well, in the comics, the Eternals was this in the 70s, this in the 80s, this in the 90s, this in the 2000s. And then people are going to find out, but like, hold up, isn't Thanos an Eternal? Yes, yes, because it's going to be clickbait. And be like, so uh, why didn't you guys handle that? Uh, but we just, Chloe Zhao has a Best Director Award and a Best Picture Award. So critics are going to come in ready to love it. Because it's going to be different because she shot with real. She shot in reality. It's not a green screen. Those are <laughs> real locations. And most wow. Marvel movies aren't shot green on screen. real locations. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's going to be different 
and I, I feel like with the Eternals because there's not a lot there. Like when you go read the old books, there's not a lot there. It's like he's like he had to come back home. He didn't like it. Let mm-hmm. me try to use some of these ideas I didn't get get off over when I was in DC with New Gods. And I'm going to turn it into this and mix in some of what I did before when I was here. And then I'm gonna, I'm going to go back to Captain America. Like, I'm going to go do X. He clearly had more fun doing 2001. And mm. and X fifty one the machine man and all that type of stuff. Yeah, but he um, should have gone back to Thor instead of Captain America. Yeah, yeah, you know the Captain America stuff will look fire. But um, I, I'm just saying like it took a couple times, but the the Neil Gaiman run of Eternal, which I have a feeling they're gonna pull a lot more from than even the Kirby stuff. Probably because of the tone, the tone of the trailer. Felt more like the gaming run in the mid two thousands than any other version of the Eternals that I've read before I gave yeah. up reading Marvel comics. It, it's got it's got that strong family vibe to it, mm-hmm. and that that seemed like it was a lot more Gaiman's angle than than Kirby's. Mm. I forgot that this stuff kept going on after I stopped reading. They it. keep rebooting uh, it. <laughs> We're not rebooting, but it's like, oh, the series get canceled. And they make another series, or then they tie it into a uh, yeah. or they make another well, series. They do it like every just, eight years, it feels like. Yeah. Hey, hold, 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 hold that thought just one second. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM. We are your community radio station. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Drew Bittner and Julian Lytle and Roberto Ortiz. We're talking right now about the upcoming MCU movie, The Eternals, which dropped a trailer a couple of weeks ago, but we weren't a new episode, and so we couldn't talk about it. Uh, Drew, you were saying? Basically, I think you know they, they have to keep republishing Eternals. They have to keep the brand out there because that's how they keep their IP rights. So... You know, yeah, they, they, they really need to keep Eternals in the public eye in some way because nobody wants to have, you know, what happened to Captain Marvel at DC. Hmm. You know, have, have a title yep. or, or a name snaked out from under them. So, yeah. It caused their own problem by suing them out of business, allowing Marvel to steal the name, then to buy them. They're like, oh, yeah, we can't use that name because we put them out of business. So, Marvel, yeah, it still it grinds my gears to this day. His name is Captain Marvel, and ain't Shazam. Yes. That's the wizard. That's the wizard. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mine too, Julian. <laughs> Mine too. You know, now Mary's like, called oh. Mary Shazam. It's like that doesn't work. It's Mary Marvel because her gods are different. She doesn't get her. I will never forgive Johns for that. I will never. She gets her powers from different gods. It's all goddesses. Yep. It was yep. pretty well thought out. You know, actually, and uh, you know, they had to uh, they had to uh, kind of adapt it for uh, <laughs> for what they were doing to make sense with uh, with what they did. But yes, the Eternals. <laughs> it looks so okay. Is, Protecting your IP. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it looks it looks okay, but the problem is again, it's the elephant in the room is going to be wait a minute. These guys are so powerful, and when it really mattered for him for them to intervene in terms of humanity just they just sat that one out and uh, now look, they're comp- look 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 all right now here's here's the thing with that i remember sitting in captain america the winter soldier and uh, afterwards somebody uh, somebody i didn't know 
was saying, well, why didn't he call the Avengers to help him? You know, and I wanted to say that's not the way this works. This was it's like this was Captain America's own book. You didn't call the Avengers for everything because there was some stuff he didn't need the Avengers for. He could handle it on his own, even though he did end up in the hospital and totally jacked up. But same deal with the Eternals. Whatever they were doing, it was something different. Okay, I, I realize all of that stuff with Thanos looked really bad, <laughs> but evidently it wasn't so bad that the Eternals needed to come well, from wherever they, they were and intervene. You know, well, with the way the trailer was like, they were just sitting down, like having family dinner, and like, oh, you're supposed to protect the people. Well, he snuffed out half the people. Where was you at? Clearly, they needed some help. They was getting their stuff rocked. And y'all was just sitting out eating some pita bread somewhere. <laughs> you know, that's the way the trailer make it look. So like, I agree with you. Maybe they could have been doing something else. I don't know. Maybe they couldn't get involved. Maybe half of them got dusted too, because it did take out half of all the beings in the universe. That being said, we'll see when the movie comes out. But I can see how people be like, why? Because I, to, the thing I think is different between the comic books and the movies. And this is one thing why people who don't really read superhero comics. And they they minute are separate. Even sometimes when I'm reading like a Batman comic, I'm like, if you don't get on the phone and call some help and get over here real fast, <laughs> like, like when I like you know what I'm saying we in the real world we need help moving a box and we'd be like, hey yo, come through, <laughs> you know, y'all Bama's out here fighting, y'all need to pick up the phone. What kind of sisters that man? So when you in the movie, you got regular people. It's like. You don't. Why you? If you don't call somebody, like what y'all? That's a movie too. We know Disney got all the money. If you don't pay that man to be in this movie, if you don't pay that woman to be in this movie for five minutes, <laughs> what makes some goddamn sense? Oh, I hear you. And all you got to do in the comic books is draw them. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> just draw them on the phone. Like yo, I can't. At least in the '80s, they would show like yo, yo Thor getting lumped up in his book. He can't come through. He can. They just show. Like Iron Man is drunk. It's just oh, he ain't picking up the phone because, you know, he, he had a bender. So James Rose got to be Iron Man. He don't even know nothing about the Avengers phone call, phone over there. You know, Batman may be stuck in the trap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. See, he like, but in the movies, it's like the mamas ain't doing nothing. They in the house. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different sensibility. <laughs> it's a total different sensibility. Mm-hmm. How important is this film for the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I mean, I'm not saying it's going to fail. <laughs> Depends how much money it makes. <laughs> That's a question. If it underperforms, how bad would that be? And I'm not saying it's going to happen for the MCU. I See, l- listen to what you're I, saying, I even though, if it underperforms. I mean, this is one of those things. Because it's a Marvel movie, it's expected... To, yeah, to it, exactly. It's expected to make what? Like it, it you got to make 400, 500 million. That's going to be reasonable. And anything less, it's like, oh, it's a dis. It only made 300 million. It's a disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the difference, the difference to me, Roberto, would be whether or not it opens doors for other things in that similar vein. Like, you know, do, if, if Eternals does well, does that open up a chapter of you know, a franchise? Does it become like Eternals 2 and 3? And do we see Eternals characters in the Avengers now? Do we see this or that? It, it can go either the, the same way that, you know, all the other MCU movies did or it can go the way of uh, Inhumans. 
you didn't know, one Cersei, of the, one of the, remember, didn't don't Cersei count. end? Yeah, I, yeah. So, so, <laughs> Cersei doesn't end up as an Avenger. She doesn't. Yeah, they, that's they what were, I yeah. thought. Yeah, they were, but um, but the thing is that they don't need if the, if those characters tank, they don't need to put them in the next iteration of Avengers. So, and also in the trailer they show my guy who's playing Black Knight in the trailer. So that they're always shutting you up. They're like, "Yo, you see our man Jon Snow? You know his, you know his show coming on Disney Plus about." 12 months, so get ready. Like, it, it, right. the franchise already built in. They're going to set right. up a yep. whole character for a TV show that comes on way later than that. Yep. Wait, they're going to do mm-hmm. a show based on his character on the... On the, really? on the Black Knight? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Met, yeah, that was in the... That was a thing last year when they did the big video. Like, this is what we're going to... You know, the, the yep. big thing they streamed to everybody, even though it was meant for the, the stockholders, like, this is all our bazillion shows we put on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, and they yeah. got freaking so, Jon Snow so, is Black Knight. So he gets so he gets launched in Eternals, but he really has the show to 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 build him up and make him a viable Avengers yeah. character. Yep. You know, whereas you know, if if they don't if but if, if if Eternals doesn't take off, then they can just easily leave Cersei and Icarus and all those guys completely out of, of future projects. So uh, excuse me, I Icarus. Oh well, whatever. Yeah, because well, you know, because yeah, because his name was uh, Ike Harris. <laughs> it's like when he was in his secret. That's so it's like, oh, Ike Harris. I got you. I mean, I I understand why you would have looked at the I other way. I Icarus but... too, Drew. It's not. I understand. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like Kirby out here being, he out here doing his Kirby stuff. He, he <laughs> okay, so Icarus's like secret identity is Ike Harris. Like Orion's <laughs> secret identity was old. Apostrophe. Apostrophe R Y A N. Yeah. Like, oh, because oh, humans just call him Orion. Orion like, yeah. he was Irish. Like, well, he okay. did have red hair. That's what I'm saying. The guys are still like, that's Orion. You know, he's. <laughs> how the hell did Jack Perry came up with this stuff? Good God. Seriously. It's like, how? Really great at making the comics and not nearly as good at getting paid for them. It was a no real one, tragedy. No one. No one was. No one except was. That's three, true. Except for a couple people. Only a few people made money off of this stuff. Yeah. But they weren't necessarily the ones who were making the comics. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. I want to shift gears. Uh, and um, there, uh, it, well, a couple of anniversaries this week. Um, one happens to be from uh, The Flash. Uh, cool. it got a September cover date, but Flash number 123, uh, where he uh, meets. The Golden Age Flash, and he goes to Keystone City. He's actually performing at a birthday party and uh, does something <laughs> that causes him to vibrate through universes. And uh, so he picks up a copy of the Keystone City Herald. And I was surprised to learn that the date was June 14th, 1961, you know, which, of course, June 14th earlier this week. So 60 years ago, the Flash discovered the DC multiverse. And uh, I just thought that was really cool, you know. How do we feel about that? Oh, uh, the the one story that so many people and so many different pieces of fiction owe so much to. Yeah, because I don't think the idea of the multiverse, which is something they talked about, in I think it even predates some of the stuff in actual like physics in terms of talking about mm. how yeah. it works, and then you hear people talk about multiple dimensions and other earths and it sounds like what they just thought about in the 50s 
in a DC comic where a guy in a red suit met a guy with a metal hat. But it's so oh, much stuff that. now that deals with uh that deals with multiple Earths and, and realities. They just so many people just redo crisis on crisis on Earths and crisis on infinite Earths over and over again. It's just like all oh, y'all yeah. Y'all owe DC so much. You owe all so many creators so much because with none of y'all done this without that dag without these things on comics. And the funny thing is that both Marvel comics and DC comics are dipping into the multiverse well hard for the next few projects. Uh, Flash, yeah, DC comics is doing basically Flashpoint, and Marvel is going to do the multiverse of madness. And there's even rumors that the next uh, Spider-Man movie is going to also dip heavily in the multiverse concept oh yeah hey roberto did i hear you ask uh, who wrote that story yes it was gardner fox oh. of course yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> gardner fox was writing all that stuff for dc at the time and of course penciled by the incomparable carmine infantino who would go on to uh, greatness penciling batman in the 60s yeah this was actually 1961 and uh, apparently uh, as I recall, I'm not, uh, and I should just, I should look this up so I'm not wrong, but I'm going to try and go from memory. My recollection is, is that the last appearance of the Golden Age Flash was in the mid-50s. I want to say it was like 1954. So, because he hadn't been in mothballs, but for so long when they did the reboot of the character and then trotted him out. We have to be hmm. grateful, I guess, for, what was that book? that uh, said that comic books basically were uh, evil, uh, the seduction of the innocent. The innocent? Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah, but then it turns out all of that was crap. Yeah, uh, Frederick yeah, Ward. But, but the cool thing is that... He faked brought, the results of his studies. Yeah. yeah. But the cool thing is basically brought back in the late uh, 50s, early 60s, basically the, the, the second Bronze Age, right? Uh, in terms of the comic books, in terms of uh, the new interpretations of the Flash. The well, that was the Silver Age. Silver Age, yeah. my bad. But we should be grateful for that, I guess. That's the only positive oh, thing I can yeah. think of that brought. Uh, you know, the thing is, though, that we, we can't we can't really know because the fact of the matter is, Seduction of the Innocent essentially killed off a huge number of comics. Mm. Yes, it, it did. Was, it was like an atom bomb going off in the industry, and a handful survived, but that's largely because they, they made them into kitty comics. They made them into the most tame, toothless pablum that, that they could put on the stands. And the only, the only um, publisher that fought it was Al Gaines. He said that Mad Magazine was not going to do that, that he was not going to be told what to do by some... You know, congressional oh. committee, and and he fought it all the way, and and he's he's mm. the guy that deserves the lion's share of a lot of credit for for sticking up for the First Amendment and sticking up for the rights of, of the uh, the publishers. And yeah, all he really was. And I tell you what, you you're you're absolutely right in terms of it being like an atom bomb that went off in the comics industry. I mean, this was akin to the Red Scare, you know, in yeah. the rest of uh, the rest of America, and a lot of people were blacklisted. A lot of people lost mm -hmm. their jobs. I mean, all those horror comics and the crime comics. All you see stuff. All that all stuff. Yeah. Oh, man. We that can was probably, we can probably blame We can probably blame that one book for eliminating entire categories of comic books. You know, mm -hmm. like you said, horror comics, crime comics. 
Um, I think the only things that were really left after that were some some war comics and um, yeah, like some funny animal comics, comics. Mm. Some funny animal comics and some superhero stuff. And yeah. then they and they built back up, but nothing ever matched the the peak of the 1940s for just diversity and readership and the fact that comics are out there and you know you can blame the publishers for an awful lot but but Wortham really destroyed that industry yeah, in, he did. in those days yeah and readership too because there on another episode we were talking about Julian I think you mentioned uh, how many uh, how many books had to be sold for a uh, comic to be considered successful and how different that number is today versus back then and, but you were referencing you know like the uh the 60s but what i thought the 80s, about it we the had time, the 80s I was oh 80s about just yeah, sorry exactly the 90s yeah. and the 80s but yeah, yeah going back but to we, those times ah uh, indeed millions millions it was like a yes <laughs> they were you doing up, yes they were doing what manga does now and people are like oh my god i can't believe how much manga sells it's like yeah. it used to sell that way in the states before yeah. this random dude started <laughs> just just about here just saying that Batman and Robin is 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 gay fantasies and everything else like mm-hmm. and, and everything is just hurting the youth and corrupting their minds and making them turn into criminals and stuff yeah it, how much different would it would it be mm, yeah but I tell you what hold, hold that thought because that musical cue means it's time for us to take a short break of course, Fantastic Forum comes to you via WERA 96.7 FM. We are community radio, and you should visit the website at WERA.FM. Find out how you can support this wonderful institution and how you can become involved, because there are a lot of opportunities for that. But in the meantime, we are going to pause while we acknowledge our underwriters and our sponsors and while we promote some of the other wonderful offerings on this station. But don't touch that dial, because Julian, Drew, and Roberto and I will be right back right after this. And welcome back to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM. Radio Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Roberto Ortiz and Julian Lytle and Drew Bittner. And we are uh, talking about, well, actually, we were talking about the anniversary of The Flash. That's the Silver Age Flash, Barry Allen, discovering the multiverse back in 1961 in Flash number 123. Roberto, you were getting ready to say something. Yeah, will you guys say that when we had the second renaissance of comics back in the late 80s early 90s before the market imploded again um how come during that era how come we didn't get the same diversity of stories as back in the early 50s before the book came out i mean we had the vertigo comic books and we had the independent comic book but it feels like the readership still wanted superhero superhero superheroes uh, and in the era, sorry, I think it's the Comics Code Authority. I think that the Comics Code Authority was was brought in, and they were looking at what was going to survive. And the publishers made the decision that the best-selling stuff was probably superheroes at the time. And they they couldn't they couldn't do the true crime. They couldn't do the horror comics. They purged all that out. EC died largely, 
um, that left DC and you know Timely and a couple of others. So the superhero stuff was selling, so they kept going, kept doing it. I mean, Superman, Batman, because that's I think what DC wanted to publish. That was kind of their flagship name characters, and they were still merchandising those. So you know, so they they were like, well, we're gonna keep doing the superhero stuff, and the superhero stuff continued, and it became a self-fulfilling prophecy that superheroes sell, so we'll keep doing superhero stuff, because none of the other stuff will sell, therefore we won't do it, so. Well, once well, we, we had a mature market in the late 80s, where we have basically uh, a more mature audience, and we had the introduction of Vertigo and things like that, why feel that we never reached back the same diversity of content that we had before well hold on a minute roberto pump pump the brakes just a second because drew i have to disagree with you as far as that diversity of content there were still i mean yes superhero comics were selling but historically the comic book market had been kind of cyclical and you know superheroes would be big then detective comics would be big then war comics would be big then mm -hmm. romance comics would be big and uh, you know the the fad of the superhero comics just never went away but in the meantime despite uh, the um, the various hearings that were held and Frederick Wordham's seduction of the innocent and all of that and the blacklisting and the destruction of the comics industry there were still romance comics being published there were still war comics being published and you know some of this and don't get me wrong i mean i'm, I'm certainly not defending uh the the hearings or the result of that or you know the ultimate establishment of the comics code but you know some of those some of those crime comics i mean i remember in particular uh, there was like a crime comic where you know some uh criminal was holding a woman's he severed head on the cover of that book and you know you're only going to be able to get away with so much of that before there's some sort of uh reprisal or repercussions but um despite that uh and despite the way that the industry changed once the comics code was established to um sort of give the appearance of creating some order and establishing uh, rules for what happened in terms of criminals being punished and the good guy winning in the end and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I believe there was still uh, a great deal of diversity of the content. I mean, again, particularly with the, uh, the uh, comedy magazines like Mad, uh, you still had some horror comics that were you know, coming up. EC wasn't completely dead. The romance comics you know, still the, the superhero offerings. So there was there was still some stuff. I mean, it might not have been as much as there had been before when the the industry was completely unregulated. But, um, you know, for, for example, you wanted to have some content for girls, which is where the romance comics came in. And the prevailing attitude at the time was that girls weren't going to read superhero comics or war comics or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, that's true. Um, it's it's just interesting. I think I think that over time, though, you know, you 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 did have some more diversity, even coming out of the the nineteen fifties. But by the time you get into the the sixties and so on, it seems like a lot of comic book readers had sort of self selected themselves into these you know these silos, and you know, so you you do get some falling away of, of titles like Millie the Model and Night Nurse and all these other things. Um, you know, 
like the the war comics and things, and and they just and and they just sort of fell away because the the market wasn't really supporting them. But um, but I think that to answer Roberta's question, to kind of bring it around to now, you do have publishers that are experimenting with mixed genres. You do have more experimentation. You do have more people trying to do like romance comics and science fiction comics and war stories and things like that. So so you do have more diversity now than you had before. But it's a question of, you know, can can the market support these smaller publishers? And that's kind of an open question right now because it's, it's really hard to say. Mm. Well, especially with the way the distribution is changing uh, even as we speak, you know. And uh, one of the things that I have noticed seems as if Diamond, and I only know this because, you know, a couple of guys who, you know, smaller publishers uh, that I know uh, now have deals for distribution with Diamond. You know, of course, Diamond has lost DC. Uh, you know, Marvel's going in another direction. You know, so it, Diamond, in an effort to remain relevant, is like, hey, we're still supplying these comic stores. Uh, we need content. What you got? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. By the way, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not criticizing. I'm not saying that comic books as a medium has stagnated because manga has shown that basically you can do completely different types of storytelling left and right, not necessarily one type of storytelling. Um, I just hope that the current market is going to diversify more than than it has. I, it I is feel pretty like... diverse right now. To be sorry, but if no, you count right. the middle grade book, the middle grade books and the YA books, the ones who are actually selling the real yeah. big numbers, mm. those are quite diverse. Yes, um, Babysitter's Club. Uh, my niece loves that series. Um, so yes, I agree. Yeah, sequential storytelling isn't going anywhere. I mean, all you have to do is go to an event like uh, uh, Small Press Expo to find out about that. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, and that may not be, um, you know, super. I mean, and it's robust as all get out. It may not have the same range in terms of selling the same numbers, but the people who uh, who read these books are every bit as passionate uh, or more so about their stories and about uh, the characters that they're reading about. And some of this stuff is, uh, you know, is pretty interesting. I mean, you get, shoot, you got single moms writing about motherhood. I mean, you've got, you know, all sorts of alternative lifestyle folks uh, telling their stories and, you know, some stuff that's uh, so far away from superheroes as to be like, practically from another planet you know no pun intended and us and those are the people that usually get the deals with the book with the big book publishers yeah the people that yeah. we see at SBX are the ones who end up with the agents who end up getting the penguin random house the hachette the simon and schuster and all those type of uh those book deals and then sell those books so, it's funny how we that's there it's yeah that, that event has turned into one where uh, cartoon network because that's where that Bojack Horseman and Steven Universe and all that stuff came from. They these people were discovered at SPX. Yeah, and it's funny how low key still is, which is surprising considering how important it's becoming. Well, that's deliberate. I mean, you know, the the um, executive committee uh, has, and let me tell you something. <laughs> that's another thing. I personally have been like, this event could be as big as y'all want to make it. But there is a there's sort of a purity test that goes on with that. And uh, I, I'm not <laughs> I'm not going to say that it's good. I'm not going to say that it's bad. 
All I'm saying, I mean, they deliberately make their event smaller and they make it easy uh, to to be able to afford. I mean, I think like a two day pass to SPX might run you thirty dollars, something like that. You know, where the average comic book convention, you know, for like a full two or three day pass, it's going to be considerably more than that. But they want to make sure that the attendees are able to go to the dealer's room and actually buy stuff, you know, from the vendors who are, who are selling there. So, but it could be in a bigger location. They could charge more. They could have more events. They just deliberately don't. I guess they saw what happened to Comic-Con and how it went nuts. And it didn't win. I, guess... I, I disagree. I, I think all this on, on both sides of the fence, there's people who take this a little bit too far in there trying to see to prove who is more about comics than the other uh ideological purity test (laughs) i've 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 seen what you're saying and i look at them with a with a weird eye and i have a feeling sometimes the only reason i'm still there is because certain people high up there like me enough to allow me to be invited (laughs) good there i i i know what you're saying like i said ideological purity test and you know, when you have to establish your bona fides, uh, you know, to be somewhere or to participate uh, in a particular event or be with a particular group. I mean, personally, I, I, what I see now that all this, you know, that now that the comic books have become mainstream, you know, by virtue of these movies and the television shows, is that we uh, geeky fans are being every bit as selective as those uh, jocks and uh, you know the the people who maligned us and bullied us and teased us. You know we are we're acting just like them. And you're surprised because fandom <laughs> is trash. It's my yeah. one of my credos known throughout the world. Fandom is trash. It was a mistake. You're acting just like them, and you're gonna be. Just like them, unless you let me help you. I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm and I want I to was, help you. No, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't picked on for reading comic books. It lets me sit on the side and be like, I don't understand what y'all are talking about. I feel cool, like I'm a straight. Well, who I'm did, glad that who didn't like the X Men because they were on TV every week. <laughs> Everyone loved the X Men. What happened? <sighs> yeah, well, they didn't have the X Men cartoon when I was coming up. <laughs> I got teased. I got bullied. It was like, hey, for liking comics. Really, I really recommend this being a topic for a show because we really could speak for a whole hour just on this subject. Uh, In terms of the toxicity of fandom, the gatekeeping that they do, all the things that we should, uh, that make it toxic, how the conversation can go over else. On even something as silly as He-Man, how if you <laughs> read the comment section, holy cow, uh, how people basically are saying, oh, we don't want a social justice agenda, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, dude, it's a cartoon. Relax. For crying out loud. Uh, well, you know, so- um, actually, Leonard Nimoy said something uh, about this uh, with regard to... Um, old Star Trek versus new Star Trek. And uh, I am going to try and find that quote because um, uh, 
actually shoot I'll, I'll i'll just try and you know from memory uh you know pull it up but um he uh nimoy to the react because obviously it was a lot hell and i'm one of them but bad reaction to jj abrams trek and um nimoy was saying hey open your mind as a star trek fan to where star trek is trying to take you now what is it trying to show you now but the other thing that he was saying people who who cling to um their knowledge of these franchises and uh canon basically um are doing so because they want to demonstrate a certain expertise in something and when you expand on these things uh it dilutes uh what they know and what they're able to speak on and so it, it part of it is an effort to kind of protect your turf yeah you know you don't want these things to change you don't want them to grow you don't want any you know new stuff because you know that's very threatening you know to you as a fan so i, I, I mean i think it's particularly ironic for this to happen with star trek which was always historically about inclusion and huh. uh, finding ways to uh you know make connections with other cultures and uh and other people and ways of living and all that have you read the comments sections specifically on on start on the current star trek shows and how people say oh i don't want to have uh, any messaging i'm oh, yes. wanting to have <laughs> just and, uh, and i'm as an old fan it's like why are you talking about star trek always had a point that was and hello sees those uh no crazy. kidding it's crazy <laughs> mm-hmm no, I hear you. Hey, you're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM. We are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined by Julian Lytle and Drew Bittner and Roberto Ortiz. And we have been kind of going down the rabbit hole a little bit talking about... Um, uh, I don't remember what we were talking about, where at least where we went with it. But look, it's okay because I'm getting ready to pivot. We're almost out of time. And uh, I did want to mention that the first installment, uh, well, hey, at this point, the first two episodes of Loki have aired. And uh, maybe people haven't seen the second one uh, um, as of this airing. But hell, it, yeah, but, um, but you might have seen the first. And so I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. But uh, seeing as how this is the latest Marvel show and it's coming on the heels of the success of, and I think you can say the success of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and WandaVision, um, you know, it, it seems this, uh, this experiment on Disney Plus with Marvel on TV, it now can be called a success. And I was looking, uh, for example, with Loki at some of the cross-marketing and I noted with uh, some uh, amusement that uh, the day that Loki came out, Lucky Charms Serial released a variant edition, uh, which was Loki Charms. <laughs> and there were only 3,500 boxes available. And um, you had to go through some kind of uh, outlandish stuff to be able to hopefully get your box. But um, have you guys, uh, did, you, did you guys watch the uh, premiere of Loki? Uh, I mean, the one thing that I'll say is it had the time variant authority in it, which I thought was sort of interesting, uh, you know, because that has uh, got a long and storied history in Marvel. But, hey, I'm just curious with the time we have left. Did you see it? What would you think? You're going to keep watching? 
Uh, Julian, did you even tune in? Do you care? You know. Yeah, I watched it. Uh, um, I reviewed. Uh, well, I talked about it with Drew on another show. Uh, yeah. Um, to me, this is the best start of any of the shows they've done. It's the wow. most interesting show they've done so far. Wow. Like, I guess. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not bored. I actually mm. watched it in the house. Like, not at work. With the, out of the oh. corner of my eye. Oh. I was like, oh, okay, let me focus on this. I see you with your Hitchhiker's Guide of the Galaxy vibes. <laughs> Zill Guide vibes and BBC sci-fi show vibes. And then, you know, when it gets into its procedural bag, feeling like a Marvel mystical version of Castle. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um. Wow. Who knew? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Look yeah. At what I do. <laughs> I, that's, it, I, I. I have never known Roberto Ortiz to be at a loss for words. Roberto, wow. you sound like you might not have seen it yet. No, I. I've been busy. Sorry. <laughs> oh no! Nah, no worries. It's a, you can have a life. You might get teased uh, mercilessly for mercilessly for it, but you can have a life. <laughs> And well, in that case, I'm going to pivot to Drew since I know he's seen it because he was on this show that uh, Julian just alluded to. Drew, what would yeah. you think? We saw the first two. And, oh, okay. Um, well, that's right. Y'all yeah, are fancy. So, Y'all yeah, are fancy. right. Um, <laughs> right. I, I tell you, it, it definitely held my interest. It's definitely not in the same mold as Falcon and Winter Soldier or WandaVision. They're all very different things. Um, it is a police procedural. It's a mystery story. It's um a redemption arc maybe perhaps um and it's got a lot of influences there's some time bandits in there there's some brazil there's some you know uh just wacky stuff and there's lots and lots of easter eggs you got to keep your eyes open because there's an awful lot of stuff to throw in there that that will be in the background and and you'll be like oh well wait a minute and like there's there's a stan lee um mural in in one scene and blink and you miss it but it's there so uh yeah i liked it a lot i think it's a great show and i think it's it's keeping up the tradition of this is where the marvel universe is going to try new things they're going to this is going to be their laboratory for playing this will be their sandbox this will be where a lot of fun stuff gets done and a lot of stuff that builds on the universe without having to be the stuff that you you got to go see in the theaters so um yeah i'm i'm all for it i think you should be watching it and um and i think that this could be a game changer for some characters in some serious ways hmm all right well i I, okay i tell you what so um one of the things that well one of the easter eggs that i want to mention and i had seen this pointed out in uh in another uh in another story but uh they were talking about owen wilson's mustache in Loki, and how that is actually one of the Easter eggs uh, mm, that uh, that they were talking about. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, would would Just you like the to... character he plays? Because the character he plays, Mobius, is a, a Easter egg and a character based upon uh, it's Mark Grunewald, correct? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. the famed editor who also was the person who kept basically Marvel continuity straight from his head. That's funny. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, in the comics, it's the person that kind of he does that. But yeah, um, the the my guy Owen Wilson is literally made to essentially just look like 
Mark Grunewald. <laughs> yeah. And it's pretty, when you see a picture, it's like, oh. Like, it's even more than the way he's drawn in the comics look like him. Like, mm-hmm. no, he's like, you could low-key just have him uh, play him. Like, when you watch that movie where they had the guy play the first Doctor Who, and then they just had him play the first Doctor Who. <laughs> it's like that. Like, you can just make a little side thing with Owen Wilson playing Mark Grunewald. Like, it, it works. <laughs> yeah, it works. It's there pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Now, it, now what, what's crazy is I didn't know as much about the TVA. I understand that uh, it debuted in 1991 in an episode, of, listen to me, an episode, in an issue of Fantastic Four. and uh, they, But they popped up in a bunch of places in the mighty Thor, uh, in she Hulk. And, uh, you know, that, 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 that this, their whole thing, uh, controlling yeah. the timeline at uh, the timeline and making sure that dangerous variants don't get out of control. They're and, created uh, by Walt Thompson. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yep. Connected to Kate. How are they going to explain Captain Rogers? You got to watch the show. Dude, they, they they do they do cover it. They do address it. We talk about it a little bit, but I think still there's going to be more. Like, you gotta watch the show. Yeah, <laughs> the, the judge says one thing straight up, and and answering a question from Loki, and it's like, okay, that that's it. That's that's where they stand. So, huh? Yeah, I guess what surprised me, you know, coming in not knowing a lot about the TVA, was. Uh, how powerful they are. I mean, because Loki, you know, hey, he's Loki of Asgard. And uh, <laughs> they handled him like he wasn't nothing. It's like, all right, variant. They even called him by his name. He's getting ready to try stuff. And it's like, oh, come on. <laughs> Snap your yeah. back. Come on. You know, I, I, think, I think he's trying to use his magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's not he's not in a place where magic. Yeah, it's like, um. You know, sometimes when you're put in a place where time doesn't exist, all those type of things of reality that you're used to don't work. So I think it's shown pretty well. Um, I think it, I think it's shown pretty well in there. And he he's put in an interesting position again. Like he's as much as I say it's like castle, but it's also like any time where you have a like 48 hours or something. Anytime where you have a crook that's taken on by the police to help them solve a case. The crook doesn't have any real powers. Like, <laughs> exactly. like you can't do what you want and, to do. Like you are a perp. You are locked up. Don't forget. And what's and what's kind of cool is that this is totally never where we've seen Loki before. Loki has always been the guy who's got a scheme that is on you know unspooling, and he's always the guy that has this plan, whatever it may be. If he, even if he's winging it, he always has some plan going forward. And this is where he is just doesn't have anything you know he's at the mercy of all this stuff and it puts a very different light on him Mm -hmm. well the other part of that is the fact that this particular variant of loki uh, is not the same loki that we became familiar with in the marvel cinematic universe this is the guy from avengers infinity sorry avengers endgame who escaped captivity when um uh the hulk uh, kicked the case, you know, and messed stuff up as they were trying to steal that uh, Infinity Gem uh, there, you know, when they were doing the time heist scene. And, yeah, it's uh, Avengers you know, 1 Loki. It's, he didn't have the growth yet. Yes. Exactly. He's still bad guy Loki. Like, yeah. he's still a villain. But within the episode, they deal with some of the things that happened 
that happened right. in the future time. It's it's the first episode is definitely worth a watch, and I do think yeah. it's a good. So far, it's also a good counterpiece to uh, to Ragnarok, or I would say the larger Thor arc of in, in Infinity War and Endgame of him dealing with like grief, but it's a yep. very low key way. So yep. again, those are my favorite. Those are actually my favorite story arcs in the MCU but, is what? Loki and Thor. Like have they deal with the most human emotion? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the mm-hmm. I have about characters specifically lucky is that once he made the jump to tv there's no chance of him going back to the movies right well you, well, you talk this is the this is the mcu this, it, these rules that you have uh do not fit the larger meta narrative that they're crafting yeah. as i said the black knight appears in eternals then is going to have a show and he's probably going to be in a movie again you think vision isn't going to end up in like an avengers movie and she, Scarlet Witch is going to be in Doctor Strange, just like yeah, uh, yeah you're about to say. Like the Hulk character is gonna be in She-Hulk, so eventually She-Hulk is gonna be in whatever way they use her in whatever movie since Hulk doesn't have his own she'll, movie. She'll be an Avenger. Yeah, she'll yeah, like Avenger. like all that yeah. all that stuff is gonna is oh yeah, Monica Rambeau, like the next Captain yeah. Marvel movie is called Marvels because she's in it. And yeah. so is Miss Marvel. Who starts in a TV show? Yeah, so all these all these things are going to come back around, and there's there's, there's not going to be that that really fu- that really hard line like there was with Agents of Shield. Agents of Shield never really impacted the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Never. Because that was Jeff Lowe. It just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so it never it never really touched the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But but that's not th- those aren't the, the rules anymore. And Disney Plus is part of the cinematic universe. Yeah, well, in other words, it's a great time to be a geek. So, anyway, look, uh, that musical cue means that uh, we are regrettably out of time for this episode. I'd like to thank my guests and you, too, for tuning in. Of course, Fantastic Forum is also a television show, and you can check your local listings. And you can also go to the website at fantasticforum.tv, where we have various episodes uh, in their entirety. We also have segments broken out in terms of the interviews, the event coverage, the toy and game profiles, the special features, all those things you have come to expect and to love from Fantastic Forum. Uh, Also, if you happen to miss any portion of the first run of the radio show, the show re-airs each and every Thursday right here on WERA from 3 to 4. And we're available as a podcast on all those platforms where you can find your favorite podcast. Thanks to our friends at the Great Geek Refuge. So make sure to come back again next week. Same bat time, same bat station. Again, thanks so much for tuning in. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend and stay safe.